This is Who Makes a Podcast. Conversations with your favorite podcast hosts about who they are, the shows they make, and why they make them. I'm your host, Chris Cookley, and my guest today is Ariel. Ariel is a recent graduate from San Jose State University with a degree in ecology and evolution, and they started a podcast to help others navigate which area of interest they'd like to pursue in higher education. Their podcast is called Areas of Interest. Ariel recently moved to Texas to continue her studies, and we talk about that move, her interest in bats, and how she does a better job than Malcolm Gladwell at organizing her episodes and more. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Here is my conversation with Ariel. Ariel, welcome to Who Makes a Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited for this. I think this is going to be an, an interesting conversation. Your podcast is primarily about higher education, right? Yes. Okay. And we're going to get to that in, in a little bit. That's going to be kind of the majority of the conversation. But I'm curious to know a little bit more about you. So where you're from, where you are now, how you got there, any of that. So I was born and raised in what I consider the armpit of California called Sacramento. And uh, it's actually a great town. That's just kind of my sense of humor about it. Um, but I really loved growing up there. I just graduated, like you said, with a Bachelor's of Science in Ecology and Evolution from San Jose State University. And I just recently moved last week to Austin, Texas. So we just got here about five days ago. So we've been setting up our new apartment. That's, uh, that's a big move. What was the impetus to move to Austin? I think just growing up in a city for 30 years really kind of became boring in a way. Like we grew up in Sacramento, but we moved to the Bay Area. And even then, I felt like we've done everything that we could possibly do in the Northern Californian area. Okay. And it's just way too expensive to sustain a lifestyle that we wanted to uh, start a family and get a bigger house in California. So we decided to move to Austin, Texas, like everyone else. <laughs> yeah. There, uh, I know Austin's getting a lot of people from California. My, my town, I live just outside of Nashville. We're getting a ton of people from California. Oh, I bet. The cost of living difference is certainly noticeable, even from, even from our side. The, the houses around us are just, they're, they're going absolutely crazy. Yeah. In the town that I just moved from, an average like one story uh, single family home was going for about 1.4 million. Yeah. No, it, it, wow. <laughs> we're not quite sure if we're going to stay here in Austin, but we just kind of want to explore the new area and get to see, you know, new experiences, new restaurants to try, uh, things like that. So we're excited. Yeah, no, that'll be that'll be a lot of fun. I've actually never been to Texas. I'd love to go to Texas at some point. And Austin, I've heard, is similar to Nashville, so I think that that would be an interesting experience to to have. I I heard on your podcast, I think that you are you're trying to get into UT Austin or Texas A and M for bat ecology. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So that was one of the reasons why we picked Austin over you know other cities like Durham, North Carolina, or Nashville, Tennessee. Um, Austin is kind of the back capital of the United States. And so it just made sense that this is an awesome place to live and it's where all the bats are. So if I wanted to pursue an even higher level of uh, education, like graduate school, I, I would want to come here where all the bats are. Cool. Do you have a, a preference between the two that you would like to go to? Have, have you visited either of the campuses yet? Yeah, I visited UT Austin, and I have not visited Texas A&M. Texas A&M is in College Station, which is about 40-minute drive or 50-minute drive from where I'm at right now. So ideally, I would like to go to UT Austin, but it's very competitive. So um, if if I can't get into the school that's closer to me, then there's always a fallback to other campuses around within a uh, commutable region. Well, that's good. I, I feel terrible for all the people that kind of had their college educations or college experiences, I guess, ruined with COVID and the yeah, high school kids. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm so fortunate that this wasn't a thing when I was in school because I had, I had a fantastic time in college. It was, you know, it was where I met most of my, my best friends that I still have today. That's great. Yeah, that was the plan. But uh, after the first semester of being 
at San Jose State, uh, the second semester hit, and uh, that's when everything went online, and it never went back in person. So I barely got to experience what it was like to be at a state university on campus before it got yanked away. <laughs> and I and I lived within five minute or ten minute walking distance from the campus. Oh, so I was geez. so close. Yeah. yeah, we actually moved there so that we would be closer to the campus. So close and yet so far. I know. I would still walk to the campus and walk around and kind of dream of what it would be like to go to school there. Oh, no. How did you land on bat ecology? So I kind of got into bat ecology uh, when I started pursuing the undergraduate degree in ecology. I've always liked bats, you know, growing up as a goth kid. I've always liked, you know, creepy things, scary movies. And uh, and bats are not super cuddly. People don't find them cute. They don't find them adorable. Some of the like fruit bats are really cute and adorable. But the other ones that I'm trying to study, the ones that eat insects, the ones that pollinate plants, those yeah. are the ones that I want to study. Um, there's a lot of research in other animals. There's a lot of money thrown at other animals that are cuter, but bats don't get a whole lot of love. But they're super important to the environment, and I learned that in my ecology classes. They're super important for vector control for mosquitoes, so they um, lower the mosquito populations. And so they're very important that way, but they're also important for pollination of desert plants. And they are very important pollinators for uh, United States native plant ecology habitats. So I really kind of fell in love with them in that regard. One of the first things that we did when we bought our house actually was put up a bat house on, on our trees in the backyard. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm so happy I to hear that. Bats. They're very difficult and tricky to kind of put up a house so that you'll actually get a bat. Did you get any bats? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's, no, we it's didn't. a tricky business. <laughs> I'd like to, to rethink it at some point and, and try again because I I love like standing on our front porch as in like as the sun's going down in twilight and just watching them kind of swoop around. You can very distinctly tell what's a bat and what's a bird. And it's yeah. it's so cool seeing them grab all the mosquitoes we have a ton of mosquitoes and i obviously hate mosquitoes so super happy to see the bats all over the place yeah yeah the uh the enemy of your enemy is your friend right right (laughs) yeah they're really important too um for environmental change because they're kind of a canary in the coal mine situation where if there's any you know fluctuations in temperature or if there's any pollution of natural waterways that population will eventually suffer and you'll start to see that in them uh, first. So a lot of people that are in ecology look at bat data to kind of see if there's any um, any upcoming pollution that they should be watching out for. This may come out of left field a little bit, but I, I think if I have this right, you have some strong opinions on Darwin. Is that right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> How do you know all these things? You did so much research. What, what um, are those and, and why? <laughs> um, so when I was taking all my classes for my ecology degree, uh, you know, part of it was like a biology degree as well. Everybody always talked about Darwin and there's nothing wrong with Darwin. It's just how much we talk about him. And the more we talk about him in every single class, the less we're talking about other people who were pivotal in this same industry that he was in. And there were so many people that came before him from all different walks of life, different cultures, women, people of color. They thought about the same things that he did, but in a different way. And when it boils down to it, they all kind of came before him and built on that idea that he eventually came to. So it's not that I have an issue with Darwin necessarily, Um, it's just that we talk about him way too much and we don't really talk about the other players in that field as well. Yeah. So I did have a class where we did talk about other people, um, throughout history who have had like these kind of ideas of evolution. They just didn't really put it in this nice package with a bow on top like Darwin did, but all the ideas were there. He just took them and just kind of ran with it a little bit, but, and, and he's great for that. Like he's, he's a visionary, but I think it's important to not think about Darwin. Like he came out of, you know, he came up with this idea out of nowhere, out of thin air. It, there was things there that he had to have inspiration from. Yeah. I don't think that there are many situations where you can have a piece of work as expansive as what that book is. And it, it, 
it's called the theory of evolution. Am I remembering that right? Um, I think the the book that he wrote is the origin of species, or- but okay. he wrote different books. It's just that that was okay. the main one that he tried to rush out to get published before Alfred. Uh, I think Wallard Russell is his name because they were kind of going to publish at the same time. And Wallace was like ahead of him and on the other side of the the water. Yeah. And he was like trying to get it out as soon as possible. So it wouldn't look like he took that guy's ideas (laughs) after 30 years of work. He's like sitting on it. He wouldn't publish. And they're like, hey, this other guy is going to publish a very similar book. And so Darwin was like, we got to get it out today. Yeah. Okay. Well, I had the I had the title wrong. Origin of species. Uh, the the point I guess I was trying to make was that it doesn't seem like it's possible to have a book as robust, maybe as that, without drawing on inspiration and information from other people. I don't think anybody has that many original ideas. Yeah, I don't think so either. But again, he he was a brilliant person. He did uh, have a great contribution to science. But again, I think that representation is really important, especially in the STEM field. And the more we talk about different people and different cultures, too, that kind of came to the same conclusion or on the way to the same conclusion, I think that's important to have to see ourselves if we don't look like Darwin. If we're not a white male, then it might be useful for somebody else to see somebody from a different background being represented uh, not to put you on the spot, do you have anybody in mind that if if somebody's listening to this right now and they're interested about that and they want to know who else they should be maybe researching that is not Darwin that would fit that mold that you're talking about, who who they should look at? Do you have any names? You know, unfortunately, I have not found someone that can put together a compilation of different people to talk about. Okay. Um, I just took that one class and it was one lecture, but we talked about... Uh, transmutation theory in, um, and I, I don't want to say ancient China. It wasn't ancient China, but I think like in the 1500s during China, mm-hmm. there's also ideas from um, the Middle East, you know, from I think the 1600s. So it, it goes back a couple hundred years before Darwin, in a sense. And uh, I would just look up the evolution of evolution, you know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, then everybody who wants to learn more about that go look up the the evolution of of evolution or just hit me up on ins you know instagram or twitter um you can you know uh talk to me there and i can give you some names that we had in our class that we talked about but i don't know off the top of my head unfortunately okay perfect hey it's chris can i jump in here for a minute and ask if you have thought about making your own podcast if you have you may have realized there's a lot more that goes into it than you might have thought don't worry. I have a gift for you. I want you to have my podcast quick start checklist. From what microphone and recording software you should use to how you host and distribute your show, I'm here to help with all of that and more. My podcast quick start checklist will walk you through everything you need to know to start your podcast. I'll show you what's actually important. To get my podcast quick start checklist, go to whomakesapodcast.com slash start and tell me where to send it. Now let's get back to the episode. Your podcast is about higher education and students' stories as they went through their their college degrees and what they learned and, and why they did what they did. Do you have a like a general opinion on higher education as a, a, a whole or as an institute. I don't want to say an institute because it's obviously made up of, of hundreds of institutes, but as an, an entity, higher education as a thing. I would say that success doesn't always mean that you have to go to a higher education. Success can be found in many ways. So although my podcast focuses on people who found success after college, that doesn't mean it's the only way to do that. In terms of an opinion of higher education, I never had somebody put it in my mind that I was worthy of a higher education. The bar was set really low for me growing up. It was like, don't get pregnant and graduate college was the bar that was set. So for me and my family to be the first female to get a higher education was a really big thing for me. So I do have an opinion in that regard that it can be a gateway 
to bigger and better things, but it's not the only way to gain success in life because a lot of the people that I talk to um, in my podcast, they don't always go down that path that they chose, or sometimes they went to a community college or they went to a trade school and they either got really successful through that or they're still trying to hustle and, and make it. Have you listened to Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History podcast at all? Yeah, I have. Um, it's not my favorite podcast. I think it's just a little too niche for me <laughs> in okay. terms of history. Um, but I do like it. Yeah, I think he's a great narrator. I like the the stories that he picks, but I like broader kind of topics. He goes very specific about a very specific time and place in a person. Yeah, he does. Yeah, I was curious on Malcolm Gladwell's podcast specifically, I guess, because he has a couple different series on higher education and it's almost like investigative journalism a little bit what he does and I wasn't sure if you had if you had heard those episodes or if you had any thoughts about them yeah so that's the kind of issue that I have with that podcast is there's a lot of content but it's kind of like just thrown all together in one basket and it's really hard to weed through like I wish there was a better way to navigate different categories of his episodes yeah because like I'll be you know, looking through his episodes on a podcast platform and it'll be like bonus episode. And then, yeah, a, he does you know, have advertisement a for a new, yeah, it's kind of, it's really hard to kind of categorize everything when it's all lumped together. It's just kind of like he threw everything into one basket and you're kind of trying to sift through it. So unfortunately I haven't been able to get to it because even if I'm looking, I can't find it. I have to go through like so many other episodes and yeah, yeah. So I, I would like to check it out. I just don't know where to find it. <laughs> yeah. The titles are not great either. Like they don't, they don't lead no. anything to, to tell you what it is. So like the first series of the higher education episodes was season one, episodes four, five, and six. And those are called Carlos Doesn't Remember, Food Fight, and My Little Hundred Million. So, you know, mm. not exactly jumping out at you as these are things about universities and colleges. Yeah, that's true. And and it's it's not there's no indication that it's conical either, you know. Yeah. That those episodes are together or should be on the same subject together. So, I don't know, maybe if you go to the website, there might be it might be organized in a better way. I might try doing that later is just kind of going on the website and seeing if he has it organized based on topic because yeah. <laughs> like yeah, i was I just know. listening to like three episodes of the little mermaid you know because i it, yeah. it caught my attention because my name is ariel so i got made fun of all the time lovingly about the little mermaid but yeah it was just kind of i like, love all those over the episodes place. personally the little mermaid episodes i thought they were great yeah i do too it was very interesting yeah how long have you been podcasting and do you have any failed or false starts with different shows or is Areas of Interest your first podcast? So uh, this is actually my second podcast. Uh, my first one that I was working on was called Modern Murders, and that was a true crime podcast. And um, that is where I did most of my troubleshooting with technical issues and trying to figure out how to start a podcast. So Areas of Interest is something that I decided to do after I took a step back from Modern Murders because... True crime is a really depressing subject, especially with the amount of research that you have to do and all of the gruesome details that you have to read about. So I decided for my own mental health that I would like to switch to something a little bit more positive. So I started the Areas of Interest podcast. And what do you get personally out of making your podcast? It's a creative outlet for me. I'm a very creative person, and it's a way that I can communicate my thoughts and ideas with others and also um, you know, bridging one story from a person and their firsthand account in college to the rest of the world who might be uh, struggling to pick a degree when they start to think about going to college. On that note, do you have access at all to listener stats? Like, do you know what, what the age of your listeners are? If, if you do know that, I guess, are they generally younger people who might be working their way towards going to college? You know, that's my target demographic, but I think that if I even did have access to that, I wouldn't look at it. Okay. Just because I, I don't I don't want to look at the stats too much. I feel like some people get obsessed about 
their target demographic. And, and that's a good thing if, if that's uh, your job, you know? Yeah. But I try not to get too worked up with the numbers. So I don't really check the stats too much. I think the only thing I check is like, where is my podcast being listened to the most? <laughs> so I can make sure that those platforms are very well organized and that the episodes are showing up on those platforms. How big is your podcast? Like how many, how many listeners are you getting on not average? Not very many. No. <laughs> I mean, me neither. Yeah, it's, right? it's super hard. It, it um, it's really hard to to promote yourself because yeah. a lot of self promotion is like considered the the antichrist on on Reddit and stuff like that. So anytime like you say, "Hey, I've been working on this project," like you can't even get that far, and you already get banned from the subreddit. So yeah, um, it's really hard to get the word out there. I'm trying different social media you know, like Instagram and Twitter. I do have a Facebook, but I'm not really big on Facebook. And um, I don't really like Facebook anymore after no. like all the stuff that came out. I deleted my Facebook account. So yeah, I also do not have a Facebook account any longer. Yeah, I technically have a Facebook for like engagement and stuff like that with like other podcasters, but I don't use it for anything else really. Um, I mainly use Twitter and Instagram and I'm just not really good at social media. So that's why my listener base is so... Uh, low right now. I also have a hard time talking about my project with my family and friends because I'm I get very embarrassed uh, when I talk about myself. I feel like it's pretentious to be like, oh, I have a podcast and you should listen to it. You should take time <laughs> out of your day to listen to it. Yeah. Um, but my friends that know about it, like they've been the ones that have been telling other people, which is amazing. Well, and that's good. I yeah, I love them for doing that <laughs> because yeah. they're doing what I can't do. Yeah, I I tell my friends and my family about my podcast and then immediately feel like, but you don't you don't have to listen. Like it's it's not really for you. I understand if you don't want to listen every week. Like I get I get it. <laughs> yeah, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. Yeah. I I just uh, oh, you know, I have a podcast. Oh, what's it about? Oh, you know, it's college. You know, you wouldn't be interested. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But by the way, there's a new episode out this week just, you know, just in case. Right, right. Um I recently interviewed somebody pretty famous in the podcasting world so i think my listenership might go up a little bit from that because my Ooh, friends got super excited um i recently interviewed jack Recider from dark knight diaries okay not familiar but i'm gonna i'll, I'll oh, look it up what? no dark net diaries um, dark night yeah diaries? dark net diaries okay. it's it's a podcast that i got obsessed with because i am not technologically literate at all and that podcast got me into like the whole hacking community, okay. um, all that stuff. It's it's an amazing podcast. People that are listening will probably be like, "How the heck do you not know Chris?" <laughs> <laughs> that's I mean that's that's entirely possible. And honestly, now that you're saying, I'm pulling up my my possible guests list real quick just to see if yeah, I I actually have him in my list of possible guests to reach out to. But <laughs> oh, so you haven't done your research on him yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I haven't done anything on it. He's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. He has so many different, like, I was just listening to his YouTube episode that he made where he talk. it's like a presentation where he talks about how to make a successful podcast because he started from the ground up. Oh, that's awesome. And, and yeah, and he helps with the podcast community all the time. And I was constantly like asking questions when I was making Modern Murders about tech issues and he was always replying and he just takes time out of his day to help people who are trying to get their podcast off the ground because that's where, exactly where he was, you know, a couple of years ago. So, well, several years ago. Were you emailing him? No, it was on Reddit. And, and okay. even today, like when I was on Reddit, somebody asked a question about, you know, microphones and he uh, posted a link to, you know, a YouTube site where... Um, he talks about all the different, you know, kind of tech issues that you might have. So there's a lot of information. He blogs a lot. That's kind of how he got started. Um, and I do talk to him a little bit about his podcast in, in my upcoming episodes. Cool. Well, I'll have to, I'll have to check that out and make sure that I'm listening to that episode and, uh, you know, maybe I'll reach out to him and see if he'll come on my show too. You know, he is, I actually did not think he was going to say yes, but he did. So I've had a couple of those. And that's been super exciting to have, have mm -hmm. some guests that you're like, there's no way this person's going to say yes. And then they do. Yeah. Like they're so busy. There's no yeah. way they have time. Yeah. They'll that's make the great. time. I mean, it's, you know, I, I like people like that where they're super famous now in a sense, and they're still humble about it. You know, yeah. they're not too big to help 
little podcasters like us. And the podcasting community, in my experience, has been super open and, and inviting and welcoming. So I've really enjoyed that too. Yeah, that's kind of what I also get out of like making a podcast is the community behind it too, because you do make friends. Have you read any books or, or watched any videos or, or consumed anything that has influenced how you make your show? Hmm. No, most of my show comes from just me going to college and talking to people who change majors or hate the major they're in. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where I was like, oh, there's this problem out there where people don't quite know what they want to do or they have this false understanding of what that major is. So that's kind of the, the issue I'm trying to solve with my podcast. But in terms of like making the podcast... I didn't read any books. Uh, I just did a lot of like researching of like on Reddit and uh, on YouTube as well. Just kind of the technical issues. What is a uh, hosting site? You know, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Very basic bones kind of stuff. Because again, I am outside mainly. I'm never on a computer. And so I needed a lot of uh, help with that. Do you have a certain show or host that you look up to in any way or that you might try to emulate with your show? Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I'm so glad you asked that. <laughs> I am obsessed with Ologies by Allie Ward. Um, that is a show. If you can get her on, that would be amazing. I would love if it's you got her on. Ologies? I would listen to that. Ologies. Yeah. It's O-L-O-G-I-E-S. Okay. And uh, a lot of my show is kind of based on that, um, about what she's trying to do as well. She talks to people with graduate degrees and people that are in the research field. Not always. I mean, most of the people have graduate degrees. I don't think she's ever interviewed anyone without one um, or somebody who's in a program. But I'm trying to go about it in a very similar way, but at the undergraduate degree level. Her show goes more into like a very niche uh, topic. It could be science, it could be history, it could be anything. And she talks to experts in that field about it, and they just kind of demystify the whole uh, going through graduate school experience and then also working in that field. And it goes really in depth, which is something that my show doesn't quite do. Unfortunately, I, I focus more about the college experience and not after college. Mm -hmm. But uh, that, that show was what inspired me to go to graduate school. What is it about that show that you, that you find so alluring? She's super funny. Like, she's about the same age as me. So we have a lot of the same nostalgia, a lot of the same humor. Okay. And uh, she's very quirky. And she's a very great personality. She's very humble. And she's just kind of a geek. You know, she's a geek like me. She was a goth kid. Um, so there's a lot of similarities there that I find, but I think in terms of the broader audience that, that really looks up to her, it's more of the way that she, uh, narrates the story in the show. That's really alluring. Cool. I'll have to check that one out too. I'm getting all kinds of suggestions today. Yeah, that one, that one gets recommended a lot. And she actually just won like the number one podcast in the science uh, really? category. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So now I've got, I've got two new podcasts that I need to go research. You might get sucked into ologies. Cause again, like I, I remember like looking up an episode where it was like, you know, about bleach. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I can do an hour and a half of an episode about bleach, oh, but, but I, I was like hooked into it from beginning to end. Um, because she, she interviewed a guy that talked about bleach for like an hour and a half. And he was just, he had so many interesting things to say about it. <laughs> cleans really well so i hear yeah he went into the chemistry of it too it's crazy like you learn so much from that show and it's it's not necessarily like it's family friendly but she started having these uh newer episodes where the curse words are taken out you know she mm -hmm. doesn't curse a whole lot though but it, it can be family friendly if if you need to listen to it with your kids cool all right uh so your podcast i feel like we've talked about this maybe a little bit but just to sum it up before we kind of jump into some details, maybe what would you say areas of interest is about? How would you describe it? So I interview people with undergraduate degrees um, from a specific school that they chose. And we talk about their firsthand experience of what it was like to, uh, from start to finish, what it was like to go through that major. 
and some misconceptions they had about either the school or the major or the curriculum, or maybe what it was like in the job market after they got the degree. So I really tried to get as much information as I can out of them in terms of the whole college experience, because I really want people to know, you know, if I go into a degree uh, of ecology, like what kind of things should I be looking out for? Or what kind of tips would you give me if I wanted to pursue this? What what kind of uh, classes would I be expected to take? You know, were there any very difficult spots that somebody went through in their degree that kind of made them think twice about it? Or if they switch majors, why did they switch majors? You know, if they dropped out, why did they drop out? So I really try to get all types of experiences and different opinions about a certain degree from a certain school and kind of flesh out would they recommend it or not and if they found success afterwards. So you're kind of trying to build maybe a little bit of a repository or a, a resource maybe for people who, who want to learn more about these degrees and, and these fields of studies? Yeah, somebody who's like high school level or maybe somebody who's my age in their 30s that are thinking about going back to college and not quite sure what they want to do. You can listen to some episodes and get an idea of, you know, should I go the computer science route? Should I go the special effects route? Should I go um, the, the STEM route? You know, all those different things that or if you're thinking if somebody's telling you don't get an art degree because you won't get a job. Maybe there is somebody out there that I'm interviewing that has a job with an art degree and they can help you get tips or get an idea of what path you should take once you're in that field. You know, how do you make it as an artist? Is it as much of a struggle as people say? Because a lot of people will shy you away from certain degrees like history or art sure, or, you know, English writing. And I just interviewed, um, I have, you know, an episode out with somebody who did a English degree and he's an author now and he has a bunch of books on, you know, Amazon. So it's possible. To tie that back a little bit to Malcolm Gladwell earlier, what are you doing to make your episodes kind of discoverable for the people that want to learn a specific thing or have a specific question? Yeah. So the way that I make my episodes discoverable is that I put the title of the degree that they got and the school that they went to, because not every degree will be the same for every school that somebody goes to. So it might be very specific to a school. And also like if people are considering a certain campus, they might want to hear somebody's experience with that campus. Cause they do kind of ask people like, what was it like being on the campus? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Was, did you have dorm life? Did you live off campus? So um, there's a lot of information there as well, but I always put the name of the degree that the person got and the school that they, they got it from. Cool. So that should make it, easier for people to find that stuff then. Yeah, I don't I don't throw in a bunch of random bonus content and trailers and, you know, stuff like that. So it's it's just the episodes. You have made a number of episodes for your podcast. How are you staying motivated to keep making episodes? I I really like talking to people. I really like interviewing people and having discussions. So I think that alone is what keeps me going. I really like creating something and and with the idea that I might be helping somebody. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. And again, like I said before, it's not a super terrible subject to be researching. (laughs) You know, it's not true crime. Um, You're not talking about super terrible things happening to people. So I really like hearing other people's stories. My dad, okay, so (laughs) my dad was a pastor for like 15 years and I, I got a lot of his communication skills and his social skills from him. So I have this ability to listen to people and to also uh, get information out of people in in a very kind way. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I've kind of had a similar experience uh, making this podcast. I tried making one by myself pre- prior to this and it, it fizzled out after like four episodes because I just, I kind of got bored with it. Yeah. But the interview format makes it super interesting because every episode is different. Every guest is different. And then now that I have episodes out, I almost feel like an obligation to the past guests to keep doing it so that it doesn't look like I wasted their time. Like yeah. if I quit after six episodes, then those, those six people would be like, well, why, why did I even bother going on that thing? 
Yeah, because it's different if you're like doing a project that's your own, like maybe you're doing, you're narrating a, a story you wrote or whatever. That's all on you. You know, it's all your loss. But when you're interviewing people and you're taking their time out of their day, um, yeah, you do feel that obligation to keep going. You know, like I, I don't want to feel like I wasted Jack Resider's time by just giving up after right. 12 episodes, you right. know? So. I think also the the key takeaway, too, that I would have for people that are considering making a podcast is do the podcast because you enjoy doing it. Don't try to do it because you want it to take off, because I've seen some people where their podcast is just now becoming a hit, but they have been doing this for like three years. Yeah. And they are honest about the first two years being like the only people that listen to our podcast were like our parents, you know? And, like, friends and family that help them out. And now they have, like, this huge listener uh, base. So I, I think um, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And I would also recommend anyone that's uh, finding out about a new podcast, always start with the most recent episode. Don't start with their first ones. Because we like to keep those episodes up because we like to look back and reflect and, you know, keep that time and energy up there. But at the same time, it's not a good way to judge a podcast based on their first episode. Yeah, especially if they're, you know, a couple dozen or a hundred episodes in, things are probably yeah. going to sound drastically different now. Yeah, yeah. Like my, my first episode for Modern Murders was really bad. But I by the time I stopped doing the podcast, I got really good. And even, you know, I, I got some compliments on the audio quality and everything. Um, but I also learned a lot of like what to do and what not to do and things to watch out for and times to record you know is it better to do uh early in the day or late at night you know just depending on my situation yeah on the note about you know just keep keep doing it and and keep making it i heard a story about and i, I wish i knew the source of it but there was the the story kind of goes like this if there was a art class not an art class a photography class at a university and the professor split the class up in two and he gave half the class the assignment that they needed to take 100 pictures by the end of the semester and hand them all in. And then the other half of the class, he said that they needed to take one picture by the end of the semester and hand it in. But that one picture had to be like the very best picture that they had ever taken. And at the end of the semester, when the students handed it in, the students who took the 100 pictures had way better pictures than the students who took the one picture because the students who took one picture just kind of like sat and thought about what a good picture would be. And they, they planned and they tried to like think it through rather than doing it. And the students who took the 100 pictures got a ton of experience and they learned through the act of taking the pictures, you know, how to, how to actually make a really good picture. Yeah, exactly. So me as a student, I would actually take 200 pictures <laughs> because I'm such an overachiever. Even if the goal was to take one picture, <laughs> yeah, I would take 300 before that, before I turned in that one photo. Um, just because, yeah, you're right. Like you learn so much about lighting aperture. You learn so much about different camera speeds and yep. everything. And also perspective too. Not everybody has the eye for perspective. Um, my brother's a sort of novice photographer, and he has the eye for it, but he doesn't have the technical know-how. Yet. But his pictures look very, very convincing that he knows what he's doing. So it really doesn't matter. Um, again, this goes back to podcasting. It really doesn't matter how much post-editing you do to your podcast. The most important part is your setup. And you don't quite understand what a good setup is until you've gone through all of the things that don't work. You know, it's kind of like um, you can't really find out something's true until you figure out what's false about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so a good setup, like my setup right now, you know, we just moved to Texas. So my setup's a work in progress, but I made sure that I was in a closet with a lot of clothes. I made sure that my cats aren't going to come here and bother me. You know, I just made sure that I was away from everything. And that just comes from learning my environment and what works and what doesn't work with podcasting. Yeah, it's all experience for sure. Yeah, my setup may not be pretty. It may not look like a studio, but 
it is what it is and it's what I have to work with. So um, there's a lot of things that you can't edit in post-production. And so a good setup up front is the best thing that you can do for your podcast. All right. So speaking of setup, I suppose I should ask you this now. What What is your technical setup? What kind of mic do you have? What What is it running into? What's your whole like signal chain to get your, your voice into your computer and then and then edited? Yeah. So if I can take a step back before that, I started out with a blue snowball microphone okay. on a $10 boom mic stand. And uh, that was terrible because the boom stand, and I've noticed this about other people that I interview, if you have one of those cheap metal boom stands with the springs in them, any little slight movement, even if you're not bumping the desk, even a slight movement, you can hear those springs in the audio quality when your mic is set up to it. So I would not recommend doing that. Um, I prefer the stands where they're like the actual tripod. Okay. Um, so I, I went from a boom stand to a tripod setup where I <laughs> took like those collapsible cube storage things and put a bunch of um, foam in there and then had my mic in there to kind of help with the outside noise because uh, I lived in an apartment downtown in the Bay Area. And so there was all kinds of noises outside. So I, I did that where I had the foam and that really helped. I, I'd say that that made a huge difference. So um, you can buy the foam on Amazon. Uh, the You get quite a few. I, I got too many, so I have a lot of extras, but I think it was like 15 bucks for the foam uh, squares. And then, um, so I recently just upgraded to the Blue Yeti caster with the, the, they call it a compass. It's not really a boom stand. It's a compass. So I have that currently set up in my closet and I have it hooked up to my MacBook Pro 2015 laptop <laughs> and uh, I'm recording and editing all of my podcasts on Audacity. So that's just uh, straight into your laptop over the USB. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't mess with uh, the, the soundboards and everything. I have mm -hmm. no AV experience whatsoever. Okay. Again, I'm technologically illiterate, but um, I, I like the condenser mics a lot because I haven't had any issues with them and you don't really have to mess with them too much. And it's a consistent sound every time you plug it in. I was going to ask you about your, your audio recording history. Doesn't sound like you had a ton. Did you have any, no. <laughs> any like issue selecting the equipment? Was that process overwhelming for you at all? <laughs> so again, I am, I am very old school. Again, I, if I could prefer to do it outside, I would, but I got my husband's old microphone that he used to use for his YouTube channels and it was the blue snowball. And so I just took it and I was like, Hey, I'm going to start a podcast with this thing. <laughs> and I just kind of tweaked it a little bit until I got the setup just right to where it yeah. sounded pretty decent. And, uh, so I was using that for like three years. It's like all cracked and everything now. Cause my husband has dropped it since then. Oh, geez. <laughs> and so for Christmas, uh, this past year, uh, he got me the, the blue Yeti, which uh, I'm liking a lot. I don't really like the compass too much, but I like the microphone. Okay. Do you do a lot of editing on your episodes? What does that process look like? So a lot of the editing that I do on Audacity is mainly like noise reduction. So you take a sample of the background noise where you're not talking, and then you take a, a couple second sample of that, and then you go in and you take out all of that noise in the background of your entire episode, that really cleans it up a lot, especially if you have like a refrigerator that's humming or a toilet that's making noise or like me right now where my chair is kind of squeaking a little bit every time I, I micro move. Um, so that that's helpful a lot. And then a lot of the rest of it, I mean, I, I also do uh, normalization in the overall noise or, or yeah, it's called noise normalization and audacity. That just raises the levels so it's consistent from episode to episode. Because I notice that some people in their podcast don't do that. And so the podcast will be really quiet and you turn it up and then you get blasted with an ad. Yeah. And so normalization is really key. Um, I didn't know how to do that when I was doing Modern Murders, but I didn't have ads, so it wasn't a big problem. But uh, I do that now with areas of interest and I find it really helpful. In terms of editing, I just take out things that people, the ums and the uh, that kind of thing. So 
<laughs> it's very rudimentary, I would say. There's not a lot of post-production going on. How long do you think it usually takes you to edit an episode? For So usually my episode, I mean, my episodes range, but let's say an hour and a half episode. Yep. That takes me about five hours. Okay. Yeah, just because I, I just want to make sure it sounds right. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it never, um, it's never as easy and as quick as people think it is when they see the final product. Yeah, I think there's a big misconception as to how much actually goes into making a podcast. So like, how long does it take you to edit, let's say an hour episode? Uh, an hour episode, probably two hours, maybe. I, I listen yeah. on either one and a half or two X speed when I'm doing it. And I have, I have some visual markers that I use to make sure that like, if there's a, a big gap between when I ask a question and when somebody starts answering the question, I'll take that gap out. But rather than listen to it to try to make sure the gap is the right size, I, I just move it to uh like I have my, my DAW has vertical bars for every, I, I don't know, every three seconds or two seconds or whatever. So I'll just like move it. So there's a one bar gap between the the waveforms so I can do that pretty quick. Oh, that's good. Yeah. A lot of my editing, the reason it takes five hours, um, it, it's taken me less now because I used to do like shortened episodes and longer episodes for like bonus content, but that's when it mm -hmm. took the most amount of time. So now I took away the bonus content. I'm just doing the full length episode. And so now I would say it takes me like two to three hours to edit an episode um, but it's, it's, I don't really do it from start to finish. I usually stop, make dinner, come back to it, you know? <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's definitely over a couple days for me. I usually get up first thing in the morning before my kids are awake and I'll come down and, and work on it for 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And then mm -hmm. I'll be, that'll be it for the day. Yeah. Sometimes I'll bust it out in like one session and just get it done and over with if I need to get it pushed out, uh, very quickly. But if I've got a couple of episodes in the bag, I kind of take my time because uh, I think with this whole move, I've been procrastinating a lot too. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving is not not an easy thing to do. I I we haven't moved in eight years, and I, I don't want to anytime soon. Yeah, and and so we drove from California to Texas with our two cats and my giant African bullfrog, and so it was a three day drive. And then when you get here you have to unpack everything and put it all away so that's been my last like week and a half <laughs> how many episodes in advance do you have or do you try to have like just banked and and ready to go does that fluctuate yeah it kind of fluctuates sometimes i don't i don't find people to interview so sometimes it's literally like a week before i'm supposed to put out an episode and i don't have anything and i'm scrambling to ask all my friends and family if they'll do something but right now, I'm actually in a good place. I, I was able to interview a bunch of people before our move, so I actually have four episodes backlogged right now. I have not edited them, but I have the interviews already recorded and everything. So, How are you finding your guests? Um, mainly on Reddit. Okay. I don't, again, like sometimes I'll go on Facebook, but I find people, <laughs> it's funny, I find people on Facebook to be more like flaky than people on Reddit. And uh, I would say that out of the 10 people that show interest in coming on as a guest, only two of them actually follow through. Okay. So there's a lot of like me asking and them saying, yeah, 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 let's do it. Or we set up a time and they just don't show up. You oh, know, geez. so there there is a lot there that goes into just being able to be flexible and also not taking it too hard when somebody cancels on you. I haven't had anybody not show up yet. I'm two for four on Reddit interviews so far. One person said they'd come on and then I emailed them and they haven't emailed me back. And then another person said they'd come on and it was literally the day of. And he was like, oh, sorry, I double booked something. I can't make it. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of stuff pops up. I usually give people two opportunities, like one where they cancel and then another one where they make it up. But if it's been two times in a row, I usually just tell them, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Just because it's it's time out of my day. Like, that yeah. could be time I could be spending with my husband or my family, right. you know. And I just, it's a respect thing that I have, you know, that you don't waste somebody's time by canceling. And sometimes it's a legitimate excuse or reason that they can't make it, which is fine. But if it's two times in a row, then it's just best not to keep trying. Yeah. Do you do any kind of vetting on your guests? 
Sometimes they don't really know their identity, so it's kind of hard to know if they actually went to that school and got that degree. I think if they have that much information about the degree in the school, they're probably not making it up. But uh, I've never come across that where somebody was uh, not who they said they were. And usually I just go by first name. If they want to do last name, that's fine. I also tell them they can be anonymous too. But I'll, what I usually do is in terms of vetting for the show, like the episode, I usually look up the degree and I look up the school that they went to to kind of get an idea of what that campus environment is like or where it's located. If it's located in a rural area or a, a you know downtown area or a metropolis area. Um, I try to ask them questions based on, like, what was it like going to a school in downtown, you know, for me. That's cool. Yeah. Besides that, I don't really bet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I I know you do your history and research. <laughs> I, I try to, at least a little bit. I like I like to have just a little bit on, on the front end about the person. And that's that's part of the, the tagline for my show, at least, is, is I, I want it to be about their podcast and, you know, the technical production stuff like this about how they actually make it, but also about who the person is that makes it and, you know, what's what's driving them to make that podcast. I find that really interesting. Yeah. And a lot of the people I talk to, they're, you know, also interviewing or being an, being an interview guest to plug their project. Mm-hmm. And I will check out their project to kind of get an idea of what the project's about, because I don't want to look like an idiot or disrespectful that I haven't taken at least an hour out of my life to kind of see what they're working on. Because I also don't want it to be... I don't want to feel like, oh, really? You do this thing? And them being like, yeah, did you not check it out? Or, <laughs> you know, asking really dumb questions. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I had that happen, (laughs) it was actually on the opposite end, where um, I don't think it was my fault, but I won't name drop, but I recently um, interviewed somebody, and uh, we signed on, and I said, hey, do you have any questions before we start? And they go, yeah, um, what is this podcast about? And I was like, oh, no. Oh, boy. (laughs) And so, I try to make sure that everybody knows ahead of time, like, what they're getting into, but... yeah. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't force it to drink. So, um, you know, sometimes people just completely don't know why they're there. And so you kind of have to help them out a little bit. So (laughs) I try to have a little bit of a conversation prior to the interview just so that I understand what they're comfortable with, you know, talking about and all that stuff. And do you have any notes or any sort of outline that you use while you're recording? Or are you kind of just speaking off the cuff, coming up with questions as they hit you? I do have an outline. Um, I I find that an outline of questions kind of prepares the guest for what's going to be asked in what order. Sometimes I go out of order with the questions and I do let them know that in advance that I might go off topic or I might ask something that's not on the list. But when I have somebody first show interest in being a guest, the first thing I do is send them the interview outline with the questions. And they're not super in-depth questions. They're just kind of like, what degree did you get? Where did you get it from? What got you into the degree? What were, you know, misconceptions, yada, yada. Just some generic starter questions. Yeah. Yeah. And like, as the conversation progresses, I kind of ask more in depth or personal questions, just depending on what comes up. I try to navigate each conversation differently. So every episode has the same questions, but it's a different conversation each time, which I kind of like. And again, back to your point as to why do you keep doing it? It's because of I never know what's going to happen in an interview. And I, I like that excitement. I think if it was too predictable, I would get burnt out and get bored really quick. Yeah, well, if it's going to be too formulaic, I think you might as well just send them a list of questions and have them type up a response. Right. And blog about it. Yeah. <laughs> what history did you have with interviewing prior to starting your podcast? Um, I would say zero. Zero. In, yeah. Yeah. Zero. <laughs> Me too. Uh, I did a conflict management class in high school and I was really good at that. And I was really good at just kind of interviewing people that got into a fight and kind of getting this both sides of the story and trying to navigate a solution to where they didn't hate each other at the end. And so I had experience with that, but that was over like 15 years ago. I still find it useful in my (laughs) day-to-day job. (laughs) But um, yeah, I think just, you know, that's the only experience I have with trying to get questions. And I think the the biggest thing that I had to learn with podcasting in this type of interview style is to talk less 
and just listen. Yeah. Which is hard. It it certainly is. Have you done anything actively to try and improve as an interviewer? Yeah, I, I constantly try to go back to my questions and see if they're the right questions that I'm asking. I also based on the answers that I get for some of the questions I ask, I try to tweak them a little bit differently so I can get a better response out of the interviewer. Because sometimes the interviewer that I'm, um, or I'm sorry, not the interviewer, the interviewee is pretty straightforward and not detailed about some answers. And then they go off on a tangent in other answers. So I try to you know, make my two hour episodes into an hour to an hour and a half just by looking at the questions and saying, okay, what am I bringing up that isn't necessary that causes them to go on a tangent? Yeah. Some people are just natural talkers too. Yeah. But I think like I was, I, in my earlier episodes, I was asking people like, uh, do you feel like the degree that you got is specific to the, the school that you went to? Or do you think the degree is pretty uniform? no matter where you go. And I kept getting the same answer of, well, I've only gone to the school that I've gone to, so I can't speak across the board. Yeah, I have a different answer based on my degree. So in my mind, I was like, that's a good question to ask because I do think that my degree is very specific to my school based on the programs and science. But for other people, I wasn't getting the the response that I wanted. So I just took that answer or that question out entirely. I read a book It was suggested to me on my very first episode that it, you know, totally up to you if you want to check it out, but it's called Talk to Me, How to Ask Better Questions, Get Better Answers, and Interview Anyone Like a Pro by Dean Nelson. And that was a a really good book for me to, you know, figure out how to interview people better. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I... I'm not really good at reading right now because <laughs> I didn't sure read so busy. much in college. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's not that. I like reading. It's just that I had to do so much of it in college and I'm taking a break. <laughs> but um, yeah, I will definitely check that out. I don't know if I'll buy it, but I'll definitely check it out. Because <laughs> again, a lot of the um, a lot of information can be found on YouTube nowadays, yeah, which is a lot more. It's free. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I have so many books. <laughs> I know. Oh, my bookshelf is overflowing. I know. <laughs> I bet it is. Do you have a pre-podcasting routine that you do? I'm thinking about things like getting your voice warmed up, getting comfortable, warming up your guest, anything like that? Not necessarily. I just check to make sure that my audio quality is where it is. I try to record something and then listen back to it and see if I'm picking up on any weird noises. I do, uh, I don't know what it's called, but I, I do this thing to try to check popping noises where I do Peter Piper picked a pickled pepper uh-huh. to see if I'm picking up on if the mic is too close to my mouth. So I do things like that in terms of the interview itself and getting guests warmed up. I usually, um, I don't start recording right away because I noticed that that kind of freaks some people out because they feel like the interview has already started. Yeah. So when I start the interview, I don't record and I just kind of say, how's your day going? Or do you have any questions? You know, just kind of build a rapport with them before I start recording. And that's been pretty much successful. There's been maybe one or two people where I interviewed where they were very shy in the beginning because they weren't used to being on a microphone. But after a while, they kind of warmed up and they, they started opening up more and more. Yeah. I'm hoping that I have a slightly different experience with my podcast as I'm, I'm interviewing people who make podcasts. So I'm hoping that the, the microphone hesitancy isn't there for, for my guests. Yeah, the only people that are hesitant are people that have never spoken on a microphone before. So they're usually using like a headset. Yeah. And usually what I tell them to based on, again, you know, problems that I've had in the past is I ask people like if you're going to use like an earbud with a mic, if you have hair, put it in a ponytail up away from the mic, like on the other side of your shoulder, because hair brushing up against a mic, that's you can't edit that out as much as you want to in post-production. It's going to happen. No, there's no fixing that. Also, another thing that I noticed, too, is Bluetooth microphones have terrible audio quality. So if you're going to have somebody that you're interviewing, make sure that they're, whatever they're using is actually plugged into their computer or their phone. Because the Bluetooth thing is just, it sounds really weird. I don't know how to describe it. 
I, I know what you're talking about. I don't know how to describe it either. I don't. I don't want to say tinny, but it's it's kind of like robotic and and like there are sounds missing almost. Yeah, it gets really glitchy. Yeah. And that's another thing with like, you know, things like Zoom or Zencaster, like there's differences in those different recording platforms as well, where I find Zencaster is really good at recording and not as glitchy as Zoom. However, Zencaster will stop recording the episode if somebody clicks out of the tab in their browser. Oh no. And so I've lost entire episodes because my co-host at the time clicked out of the the browser and lost all of his recording half i think 20 minutes into the interview and it was like a two-hour interview oh my gosh um and we didn't know that at the time so it wasn't his fault it's not like i warned him but i had to look it up and be like why did i lose half of my or 80 percent of my episode wow and so that's another thing but that's why i like zoom because zoom prompts you like are you sure you want to you know exit out this will stop the recording so I wish that Zencaster kind of had that same feature, but... Yeah, I've had a lot of people suggest Zencaster, and I wonder if they're aware of that. I think they are. I think most people will encounter that problem at some point or another, but it's. I always tell my the person that I'm interviewing, like, please do not click out the browser until we are fully done recording, you know? Yeah. And then what service are you using to distribute your podcast? And, and do you like it? How's it working for you? So I use Anchor right now, which is, I've always used Anchor, even for Modern Murders. Actually, Modern Murders is still up. Like, I'm still getting listeners, and I'm still getting, like, feedback for that show. So I haven't had any issues with Anchor, both short-term and long-term use. So um, I upload my podcast onto Anchor, and that's the hosting site, which is the one that distributes your podcast to all the other, you know, platforms that people listen on. And so it uploads onto Spotify, Google Podcasts, like all those things. But I did have to manually sign up for Apple and Mm -hmm. Stitcher and have those approved. And sometimes it can take two days on Apple. Sometimes it can take two weeks. So it really depends, I think, if your episode is marked as explicit or not explicit. Because there actually is a person, I know this for a fact, there is a person out there who listens to the actual episode to make sure that it's explicit or not explicit. And is that just the first episode, like when you're first creating your account, or does that happen every single time? No, that's just the the first time that they they approve the entire podcast, mm-hmm. and then they'll give you sort of like a, a link that you can use to then put onto your Anchor. And then Anchor, once it has that link, it now automatically distributes your episodes onto, you know, like Apple or Stitcher, you know, those kinds of platforms. It's just the initial startup that you have to get approved and then plug it into your Anchor. Yeah. So, you know, don't think that you are going to make a podcast on Monday and then have it up on Apple by Tuesday if you've if you've never done it before. Yeah, it doesn't. And even with Anchor, it doesn't really work like that either. Anchor takes some time. Um, I noticed that not all of my episodes get released at the same time. Sometimes Google Podcasts, for whatever reason, is a little bit slower than all the other platforms. But I think things like Apple Podcasts and um, Spotify, those are like instant, like within an hour of promoting my episode or like launching the episode, it's up on those platforms. Cool. What's one of the most important lessons that you've learned about podcasting since you started? Don't get too hung up on the numbers because, again, you might lose, it might burn you out quicker. Uh, Just try to make something that you love doing. And I think just try not to get hung up too much on the reviews and the backlash that you might face. Starting a true crime podcast um, was really kind of scary because I I would see a lot of people get a lot of backlash for um, telling somebody's story wrong or, you know, sometimes you get reviews too, where it's like, I hate the way you sound or, you know, they're just, they're really rude. Like, and I understand why people do it. They're behind a a screen so they can say whatever they want and be kind of rude to other people without the ramification of somebody saying something back. But 
I think you just kind of have to build a thick skin and just understand that people are going to say terrible things about you, about this project that you put your time and energy into, and it's best just not to to read the reviews. I mean, if you want to read the good ones, that's great, but if you see a one star, don't even give it your time <laughs> because you're not going to please everyone and there's going to be that and honestly like the reviews don't really affect people finding your show or like how your show shows up. I think the only thing that really will make your show successful is how many people are listening and sharing your show. I think that's really good advice. And that is a great place for us to end. Ariel, thank you so much for coming on this podcast with me. Where can people find you? So I am on Twitter at areas O interest. And I'm also on Instagram at areas of interest. And you can find my podcast on all the major platforms and including um, the smaller ones like Pocket Cast and Overcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on with me. I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having me. I had a great time. That was my conversation with Ariel, recent graduate from San Jose State University and host of the podcast Areas of Interest, which can be found on all of the major podcast networks. You can also find Ariel on Twitter at Areas O Interest and Instagram at Areas of Interest. My name is Chris Cookley, and you can find me at whomakesapodcast.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be an enormous help if you shared it with your friends or left a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. It really does make a difference. And if you host a podcast and would like to be my next guest on Who Makes a Podcast, please let me know. Go to whomakesapodcast.com slash guest and tell me about your show. This is Who Makes a Podcast. I'll be back next time with another conversation with another incredible podcast host. Thanks for listening.